Welcome to episode 111 of the Ninja Mountain Podcast, the podcast for artists and by artists. Ninja Mountain is a loose collective of fantasy sci-fi artists who like to talk about the art and business of freelance illustration. Ninja Mountain is a proud member of the Visual Artist Podcast Network, and on this week we have Patrick McAvoy. Yeah, it's Patrick at megaflowgraphics.com. And Kieran Yanner. I'm Kieran Yanner at kieranyanner.com. And rounding out this uh, this manifest because we apparently this week we will not we will not have Sokar with us is yours truly Jeremy McHugh and I can be found at McHughStudios.com. And this week, guys, uh, we can start. Do you want to start with a critique or want to end with a critique? Hmm. Uh, we can start with one. We'll start with a critique. Okay. Why well, not? We, this first one comes to us from none other than the much talented Scott Johnson, who responded to our. Uh, Twitter uh, request for work to critique so quickly it's amazing and he sends us a really um, beautiful uh, rendition of Red Sonia I believe it's Red Sonia if I if I if the uh, chainmail bikini is any indication well it's black and white so it could be really any color Sonia this is true this is true uh, but uh, yeah it does it does have that look to it and it is suitable for coloring in with crayons so if you wanted to give her red hair it'd be easy enough to do yeah I, I, I like the minimalist approach mm-hmm. <laughs> although I think I, I suspect I think in this piece I think Scott is warring between a couple of different aesthetics well, what do you guys think I see, like, oh. for instance, he gives a lot more attention to the legs, per se, than, say, her midriff. Well, I think, yeah, I think you're right about that. But on the other hand, uh, it, it's it's fully realized, and it's certainly, uh, it it uh, it has a vision. And it it takes that vision and runs with it, and I think successfully does exactly what he set out to do. But, and that's always a triumph in any piece of yeah, art. But, but to, my, you know, to my eye, it looks just a little bit rushed. I think it could go with just a little bit more, maybe a bit more reference uh, to the piece. What do you well, guys think? Yeah, you know, I, I think when you've got a master like Scott, you have to think it's somebody like a, a Picasso who could, you know throw something out there in a minute or two just because he knew the subject so well. It's already in his mind and in his muscle memory. And he could do, say, one of those Don Quixote pieces in a matter of minutes. Uh, you know, Scott's much the same way, as you can see by looking at this picture. Actually, I see um, a bit of uh, Norman Rockwell in the uh, flattening of the perspective. Mm-hmm. This is, although, yeah, that's very, true. Very true. I think it was wise for Scott to break up the horizon line so it doesn't, uh, you know... It doesn't uh, compete with the foreground too much. I think that's you know the, there's a certain amount of simplicity there, mm-hmm. which I think yeah. is you know simple compositions often work best. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and this is definitely a classic L composition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although I think there's some inconsistency in the costume. You know, I, I'm not, I'm seeing a, like for instance on the on the forward leg, the one that's perched atop the head of the centaur or the bull's head. I, I, I'm mm-hmm. guessing it's just the bull's head. Um, you know, the, we have these leg ties that keep the shoe, these high heels attached to her. But on the right, you know, on the other side, you'll notice that it lacks those same straps. So it's like she's ready to walk out of her high heels there. Well, I had just assumed that was sort of, uh, you know, Dungeons and Dragons aesthetic where you have the mismatched oh, yeah. pieces. Well, yeah, I guess, I, I suppose the, the shield does mm-hmm. add some visual balance to it, doesn't it? It's a good thing that shield does save it. 
the the one the one sort of uh, glaring problem I do see is that the uh, the cross on the shield um, needs a little more correction going on. I think it's a little, um, that's right. Kilter. That's right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. That that would have been good. Well, and if I if I were going to you know nitpick just a little because. There's obviously not a lot about this piece you can really nitpick. I would think the bull needs little X's in his eyes. Yeah, um, yeah, it can carry forth yeah. some of that symbolism. Could he just be asleep? Could it be that he's a, a sentient bull head that's alive and he's just sleeping and she's she's going to wake him up by kicking him and yelling? Or, or is he dead? I mean, we can't tell. I'm going to say dead just because of that, mm-hmm. that puddle yeah. of black beneath yeah. its head would indicate to me, mm-hmm. it, it has a certain – it indicates blood to me. Well, again, since it's black and white, it could be a shadow. I, I, just, I just think he could have spelled that out a little better. Maybe. Maybe. I like the use of line weight. There's some line mm-hmm. weight going on, especially when you follow that, that calligraphic curve of, the, of her uh, leg that's supporting her weight. You know, I think there's a – Is that how you say it? Calligraphic? I say calligraphic. Huh. I, I had no idea. I've never really seen it or heard it spoken. Well, in calligraphy, you know, line weight being from the brush weight, you know, the, the weight of, well, no, no, you know, yeah, it, yeah, it, it, it has you know, a certain flow, you know. You'd say calligraphic. Yeah, calligraphic. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> That's one of my $50 words. Yeah. That's All right. right. Very good. You pay up. That's right. Any last man. thoughts, uh, Karen? Um. Oh. I really do love the flow of her hair, actually. That really, the, yeah, that really sort of draws the eye. Yeah, and ponytails are kind of naughty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're both right. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's okay. It kind of, there's a certain cheesecake factor to this piece, and I think uh, I, I, we would encourage all of our listeners to click on the link that will be provided in the show notes to really get the full flavor of this piece. I think Scott that's really outdid himself. Yeah. He stepped up big time for this show. What was that, Karen? I said classic retro fantasy. I think he was mm, going for mm. it. Yeah, perfect description. Perfect description. You yeah, know, this really could have been on the cover of, uh, say, a pulp magazine from the late 30s. I think it was Picasso who said, it took me no time at all to dr- learn to draw like a master, but a lifetime to learn how to draw like a child. And I think there's a certain amount of uh, that mastery is in evidence here. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's really mm-hmm. it's really enthralling to me to see it so you know so plainly expressed in his work. You know, there's a lot of confidence to it. So, mm-hmm. and and so fast. I think we're we're all three I'm very impressed by the the speed with which he pulled off such a a triumph. Well, shall we go on to uh, the next piece? Yeah, yeah. We've got uh, from listener. What's what's what is listener's true name? I have a. Uh, a I have a deviant art handle here of Talentire or Talentier if I wanted to be a bit more lyrical in it. And uh, this one's called mm-hmm. Rilliel's oh. Blue Bells. Yes. Oh, oh, we should say the real name is Allison Stanley. Allison Stanley, say? thank you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Allison Stanley. And she's presented us with a black and white piece. Yeah, I think it's really well designed. Mm-hmm. I like it's this. Done it, well, it's done in ink, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, it's traditional media, so ink on uh, white paper, I would assume, although it doesn't say. Uh, <coughs> and she describes it as ma- manga an- anime, or at least puts it into that category. And oh, I'm, yeah. I'm definitely I seeing guess, some of those shapes. 
Yeah, you see a little bit of that in here. Um, well, who wants to discuss anything about it first? This is a very difficult piece to critique because... I'm liking a, the... A, it's very stylized, and mm-hmm. she successfully does the stylization, and B, it's just spectacular. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm looking at... When I first look at any piece of art, I tend to squint first. And while it may make me look like a doddering old man... He goes, what am I looking at? Uh, so does everything else. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? Yeah, yeah. But what I like to, when I do, reason I'm doing that is I like to look at a piece and just get a sense of its basic shapes and some of the some of the rhythm of the lines. And I'm liking what I'm seeing. It's even you know it's oddly enough, you'd think the way it's composed, you would think it's very top heavy, but no, she's managed to really pull off a balanced piece here. Mm-hmm. You know, I think. Uh, Yes, there actually is a balance of positive to negative space that's very pleasing, even though it's you have a fairly uh, a lot much of the surface of the paper has been filled with this lush detail in the uh, the upper uh, well mid to right quadrant. You know, it's it's really you know, it's, this must be quite a thing to see in person, just for getting up close and personal with the piece. Absolutely, it kind of carries a. Um, uh, uh, I don't know how it's sort of said, but the, the, the Day of the Dead artwork, so hmm. the, the Mexican. Day uh, of the Dead. Yeah, just the, um, uh, some of the, I don't know, it, when you look into the patterning more, it's more, um, I guess, Art Nouveau, um, but the, so I guess maybe it's the eyes that kind of do that for me and the, the, the texture on the lips and stuff um, hmm. kind of gives me sort of a day of the dead feel. The eyes are very nice. Mm. Yeah, o- overall, the uh, yeah the composition really works. There's a sweep and a thrust to it. It comes from the top right down into the middle. And then the uh, there's so much detail in that dark area that it sort of, your, your eye kind of tends to see it all as one big thing that's sort of pointing down towards the face. And then when you get the face, there, there's a payoff there because the eyes are really interesting and they're sort of the centerpiece of the whole thing. Uh, and and they're, they're very creative and well done. Um, yeah, I, I like that, that whole compositional trick. And then the face is sort of framed by some tendrils of the darkness coming down underneath it that are, again, in a really nice uh, Art Nouveau uh, swirl style. I'm seeing a lot of uh, one of the things I talk about with some of my students is you know I just gave a um, the presentation on composition and what I'm seeing in evidence here, I see a lot of a good use of repetition and it's there's rhythm and rhythm was one of those um, almost those rather somewhat indefinable elements of composition you know it's like the, I I've, I've yet to find a satisfactory definition for it. You know it when you see it, just like good porn. Exactly. That's the, actually that's the point I make to the students that you know it's kind of like smut. You don't. There's no definition for it, but you know it when you see it. You know, and I I see that here. The the Art Nouveau uh, influence is uh, is really evident in those rhythms. I mean, it, mm. obviously the the various curves of the hair and the decorations in the hair uh, are very nouveau and and a lot of the decoration is out now nouveau but the uh, that that sense of rhythm is uh, very uh, important in that style and that that shows up nicely here rhythm you often see in brush strokes I guess is um, 
at least mm-hmm. that's kind of what I do like, as far as looking at brush strokes is to me that sort of comes off as rhythm I guess mm-hmm. yeah, there's, a, there's a visual um, I don't know, it's almost like how rhythm seems to been equated with how your eye travels across a, a composition, you know, and then the speed with which you can navigate the composition, and it's, it's kind of weird. It's, it's like I say, it's I've I've yet to find a hard, true this is rhythm, you know, definition. It's uh, it's it's very much a um, I suppose it's a a personal aesthetic, perhaps. Each viewer is going to have their own interpretation of the rhythm of a composition, and I'm getting something that's very pleasing here. And the textures, yeah. as you say, and the way she is designed, you know, there's some very strong design here. So, I mean, and even though it's an ink piece, when it could have very easily have turned into a very, you know, big blobs of black, because you really broke it up, there's a lot of mid-tone in there with just the right amount of black to my eye. I'd actually love to see this colored. Um, I think, uh, I mean, it's, it's beautiful by itself, but... I think um, it could also lend itself to being um, nicely colored as well. Look like like what? Like maybe a um, a sort of maybe a, like a sepia tone, browns, earthy uh, look, colors, yeah, or I think I, could, I think I could see that sort of like wash tones, uh, watercolors. So you don't overpower the inks too much, um, but um, uh, just because this, there is so much intricacies and details, you could really kind of get into doing a lot of intricate color work. Or or even or even simplified by just th- say throwing a color layer color layer digitally over just the inked areas and maybe select yeah. a color like a uh, a dark blue for instance or even color shifts yeah that will yeah. influence only the black yeah and that that could carry forth a nice uh, I don't know, design aesthetic to it it's really nice yeah every uh, yeah this is a difficult uh, critique because there's so little to critique I mean it, there's only things to mostly things to point out that she did right uh, for instance the eyes uh, it's a very wide face and even though uh, a lot of the decoration lends a flatness to it she's done what the very best Art Nouveau artists do which is once she gets into real world shapes she uh, pays careful attention to the perspective uh, and you know the curve of the surface. So, like you have the one eye that's uh, closer to us is almost a circle, but then the other eye that's farther from us, that would be way around on this very wide face, you're getting a nice oval that's just right in perspective. And you know, beautiful little details like that throughout. And of course. Uh, the little uh, flowers. When she gets into realistic flowers in the hair, they're, you know, they have an Art Nouveau stylization to them, and yet uh, they pay a lot of attention to the the actual three dimensional perspective of the flower. Um, just nice. So I'm, I've been I've been trying to find one thing or two that I could possibly critique, and the only thing I'm coming up with. Uh, and this is really just a matter of practice, uh, is the actual outlines in, in some places are just kind of uh, uh, not as sure-handed as they could be. Uh, mm-hmm. For instance, we could start with the jawline. Um, it's, you know, it just wavers slightly. And I'm not sure that's part of the style as opposed to just not being really sure-handed yet with the, uh, with the pen. Yeah, little, little places like that or like the neck. Um, 
Yeah, like, it could in in the hands of somebody who's who's probably been doing it for another ten years or so. Uh, could could have been a little more well realized, and that's just some. That's just practice. That's just you know, honing your your uh, pen strokes and brush strokes um, to to come off a little more fluidly. I might uh, so, um, yeah. I, I might be tempted to bold and say the line beneath her jaw, but at the same time soften the angle at the tip of the jaw, of the chin. Mm. Just because you know, I see these really soft uh, organic shapes throughout the uh, her hair and the and the crest and things of that sort, and then you get to her mm-hmm. jaw at the at her chin because it has this pointy finish to it. And that's not necessarily a deal breaker, but I'd be tempted to see what a softer treatment might have done. For that hey, little kind of a, it's yeah. a little detail, you know, kind of a matter of taste. Yeah, there. yeah. Like I, I just, say, I just saw her nitpick. as being a very uh, severe-looking character, even though she she's got delicate qualities to her. You know, there's something about the weirdness of the eyes and the, you know, and I thought the chin was part of that severity. So it kind of kind of fits in. But yeah, it would be worth looking at. You know, the 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 line weight really varies throughout the uh, the, oh, yeah. the upper treatment, and then it becomes somewhat less so in the treatment of flesh. And I'd be tempted to play around with a little bit yeah. with line weight in those areas. Mm-hmm. Maybe allow light low uh, line to taper to nothing at highlight mm-hmm. points of the skin, for instance, perhaps her shoulder, for instance, or you know, mm-hmm. or along her back. Areas where strong light might strike and allow the line to just end, you know, and then pick up mm-hmm. as the as the form, you know, at the edge of the form, you know, as it rounds around, goes around, that sort of thing. It's I'm having difficulty explaining, I guess, but I know what you mean, though. Uh, that'd be an interesting thing to play with. Uh, although, again, if we're talking about, I I don't know how strictly formalistic she was being. Uh, if we were being that formalistic, uh, we'd actually go around and thicken the outlines on the outside of everything to to be a very formalistic study in uh, uh, Art Nouveau. Yeah, you, you can't you can't actually have those broken lines on the outside and really be Art Nouveau-y. Oh, okay. So that's there you go. So, so, so there's two a different ways to approach it, for it then. Yeah. Again, depends on how much of a, a nouveau uh, cla- classicist she's being. <laughs> but yeah, overall, really successful and really fun. I'd uh, I'd be just really interested in seeing the original of this, which is apparently only ten inches by seven and a half inches. Oh which wow! Is even more amazing. That's that. My eyes would be bleeding at the end of that. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Allison. That was a fine very, that work. Was a fun one. And of course, thank you, Scott Johnson, uh, for your wonderful piece. So uh, we've had a couple of very successful smaller critiques this week. That's kind of nice. Uh, don't, and now that we've just wrapped this up, our, our little segment, we have Drew Baker about to join us. Here he comes. The Ninja Mountain Podcast. If he answers his phone. Despite the restraining orders. Here's Drew. Drew. 
Drew is joining us. We've just completed up the uh, critique segment of today's episode, and uh, we're Ooh, moving on to that bullet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now we're prepared to move on to to another side of conversation. We were talking about just from the pre-show. We started realizing we might have some things to talk about with regards to character design. Oh, okay. So, uh, you know, I, I've something I've been teaching. Um, I taught last semester. Uh, I had a one project and a presentation based on that subject, and it's something that's still kind of fresh in my mind, but I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. But what are some of the things that you think of when you're uh, approaching? You've been asked by a client to design a character. I mean, what's some of the things that uh, you start thinking about immediately? Karen added some... Oh, go ahead. Oh, okay. I, I try to figure out their story, pay attention to where they're, where they're from, what their background is, how they fit into the world. Mm-hmm. It's actually something really hard for me um, uh, so, uh, mm-hmm. because it takes a lot of energy for me, anyway. It's not something I, I think comes especially naturally, or, or that I, maybe I just take it too seriously. But it uh, has led to me, over the years, doing L5R illustrations, reusing a lot of characters. Because, you know, if the art description calls for a character of some type in the background, like why why spend all why waste all the energy <laughs> it takes designing a new character to make someone new when they already have you know hundreds or thousands in the game world so I'll, I'll, instead of just making a new one up to stick in the back i'll go through and see who already exists and will fit uh, and some people actually have have really liked that about my work well that's cool yeah. how about uh, how about you patrick Oh, uh, oh, oh, my, oh, you're, yeah, he was oh, going to ask me next. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm not, oh, what do I do? Uh, it wasn't yeah, that good can... answer, jeez. <laughs> How do you follow that up? <laughs> no, my answer is, is don't. <laughs> Use somebody else's stuff. stupid. <laughs> uh, I... Uh, I guess there, there's two different three. Okay, three. No, wait, four. No, no, only three. <laughs> I can, I can think of numbers and then runs away. <laughs> I can think of uh, three distinct uh, things that I generally do for character design, and they all have some kind of different uh, needs. Um, and approaches. I work in, of course, just illustration, fantasy art, which is quite often a one-off picture mm-hmm. uh, of a character in a particular scene. And then I'll also do comic book work, where I have to have a character that I can draw from any angle and who can hopefully look kind of cool in different situations. And then I do uh, character design for animation as well. Uh, and that has a whole different set of uh, problems where you like to have it simple enough that it can be uh, animated uh, successfully from a lot of different angles and not kill the, the animator in a 2D animation situation I'm talking about, you know, cell animation. Uh, I'm going to jump in. And there's an, mm-hmm. another concern that I just remembered is that if you're making a character, they should have a, a visual hook, like a recurring character, like the... Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So they're easy to recognize and so they'll stand out from everyone else. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I, and, and a big thing about that is just getting a really strong silhouette for the character. 
especially if there's someone who's who's going to be moving and turning around and whatever, you know, you like to have to be able to just draw their silhouette and uh, have them be recognizable just from that, so that it's a really strong shape as it moves. Uh, that that's a really important design feature. Oh yeah. Uh, and then, uh, then uh, so so within all of those, yeah, there there's a lot of different concerns for each one. Uh, yeah, as Drew says, there's got to be a hook. There's got to be something a little bit different and fun about each character that you design. Hopefully, um, in oh, yeah. the of course, the easiest one to do is for just one-off illustrations, where I'll you know do the sketch, and uh, I'm sure a lot of people work the same way as me i'll i'll do the sketch uh really with a, a vague or almost no idea of what the costume is going to be and then i'll start drawing a costume onto the character that looks uh, good just for that angle and nothing else matters <laughs> and that's that's the funnest thing to do is just a, a single illustration of a character no one's ever going to see again <laughs> put all the cool bits right there, <laughs> and they can all be in the correct angle to look. The oh yeah, you can totally tell the artists who are designing a character that they have no intention of ever drawing and painting again. Exactly, because, <laughs> because they're the most complex, most kitted out, equipped characters you'll ever see. Exactly, and that—that's what people want in a lot of situations. Though most oh, yeah. times that you do fantasy drawings, it's you know uh, the the old saying: more is more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and they usually want more on those uh, things because it's yeah it's eye candy. Uh, you're you're there to be a, a an entertainer and wow people with spectacle, uh, and that's that's easy to do in a one-off illustration like that. A little harder to do when it's got to be an iconic character that's being used more often. But I think uh, Kieran had a lot to say about that aspect of things. Actually, uh, you guys kind of summed it up. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. Take a liar out of me, will you? Yeah. <laughs> By our powers combined, Patrick, you and I equal Kieran. <laughs> That's about right. <laughs> the only thing I would um, uh, add to what I guess would be uh, just to, you know, which is kind of what you guys talked about anyway, um, which is initially figuring out what the character is used for. Yeah. Um, you know, um, it, you know, even uh, in different. Um, uh, when working with computer games, if you're working in an MMO as opposed to um, uh, like a first-person shooter or whatnot, um, you know, it kind of goes back to the silhouettes and having character hooks. Um, you know, the, when, for example, with an MMO, you're, um, you have to be able to recognize a character from, from a distance. You have to know whether they're uh, an enemy or, or, or a good guy or a creature or whatnot uh, just because it helps out gameplay and so there's, there's design and gameplay that sort of comes into those things um, so yeah it really depends on what it's used for uh, um, and then going off um, that you can kind of which can, can help because that can sort of spur ideas and, and uh, give you a, at least a bit of a box to sort of work in the way I tend to present the, uh, I, I usually like to the the simplest baseline. When, this as I introduce it to the students is, the idea of, where does your character live and what does your character do, 
And those two, you ask those two questions, and those become the springboard for you know, your later answers, your later other additional questions. Another important one was the demographic: who is the character for? And maybe that's a that obviously that has perhaps the widest, pretty wide. Um, interpretation to that, I suppose. I mean, if you're going to design characters for, say, uh, a children's animated series or for a, a, a demographic, a, a, a computer game aimed at uh, young girls, your design aesthetic is probably going to be influenced by those things. You know, your pilot, the, um, the silhouette they're aiming for, character, all sorts of things. Oh, does that, that's, imagine, does that seem pretty hard and fast? As a as a baseline, yeah, I think those are all things. Yeah. Uh -huh. Then I, I asked them. You know, you brought up the idea of hooks, and if people don't understand necessarily what a hook is in definition. I will just say, uh, I'm going to describe a character to you, and we'll see if you can recognize him. Okay, red skin, uh, one big clubby hand made out of stone, some a couple of sawed-off stumps on his head that were probably horns at one point, a long trench coat, and a big pistol. Who is it? Dick Cheney. What's that? <laughs> Dick Cheney. You guys are awesome. You've played this game before. Oh. Just have to inject some politics in there. There you go. Okay. Uh, wide brim hat, bull whip, pistol, khaki colored pants and shirt. Who is it? Barack Patrick, isn't it? Oh yeah, that's me. <laughs> See, you guys are. You guys get it. You totally get this. No, exactly. That's it's a high concept. Thing exactly. <laughs> I was gonna say Donna Summer. You know, the other thing I meant. You know, another thing I'll often talk about are other little character traits like posture. Mm -hmm. You can totally spot Golem next to, mm -hmm. even in Shadow, you could totally spot Golem next to Frodo, for instance, in the films. Actually, there's supposedly um, oh, what's his name, Ian, Ian. I can't remember his last name. What, what, really, what? You're really talented. Uh, Ian, Mc, Ian McKay. Ian yeah. McCray. Ian McKay, yeah. McKay, yeah. Yeah. He had a um, discussion where he brought up um, a book uh, about dance uh, yep. and emotion. And I guess there's a like a uh, – not a theory, but a um, uh, sort of like a maybe a, a scientific kind of map of um, – how people stand and carry themselves leads to traits of character. Yeah. But that would be really interesting to sort of get a hold of and look into. Oh, yeah. You get a totally different feel off a character like, for instance, again, with, say, Golem, who's just like this, almost this extreme of, uh, of posture, next to, say, Superman. If you, even if they were both, this, if, if, even if they both looked like... Uh, like Golem, you'd get a completely different feeling <laughs> off the character if the, if they're, one Golem is crouched and crawling everywhere, and the other one is standing there with hands on a hip, you know, arms akimbo. You know, you you get a completely different feel off the character. Mm -hmm. So there you go, posture. Yeah. So so we have uh, yeah spe specifics of uh, what they do and why would they need things. We have posture, how they act. Props, you know, they say what would they yeah. need in order to do things what they, they do and where they live and things yeah. they carry with them can quite often be part of the hook, you know, like uh, you know, an old wizard with a staff, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yep. a desert nomad next to an Inuit, you know, it's completely different uh, ah. requirements. Well, yeah, they may yeah. both be hunters, 
different things uh, for your environment. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, you know, also, silhouette is obviously really huge. Silhouette. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we were talking about the Michael Bay Transformer films, and, you know, even uh, even as convoluted as those designs are, you can get a sense of who the, who the bad guy is and who the good guy is. If you had Optimus Prime standing next to Megatron, you get a very different, you get a sense of who's the bad guy. It's very, it's perhaps subtler than in, say, other types of characters, but it is there. You know, you have mm-hmm. Megatron with his really harsh looking angles and uh, very blade like appendages, and then standing next to a, some, a slightly more, uh, I wouldn't say soft, but just different angles on that silhouette. But uh, you guys were discussing earlier uh, off the air some of the drawbacks to those designs. Oh, you? yeah, yeah. Wanna, I think, yeah, wanna, what we, we did angry about it. Yeah, well, I think we summed it up that <laughs> you know, if you're going to design characters, I guess it really does. It looks like like for instance, the Michael Bay Transformers. They seemed, and this is argumentative, of course, but they <laughs> they seem to have ignored the possibility of cross market uh, compatibility. Imagine trying to hand animate, for instance, those characters like you, the original Transformers of the '80s were designed with definitely, I mean, they could be put into comics effectively and put into animated films and toy lines, what have you. And it sounds like it's slightly more of a uh, a challenge if you're trying to do some of these things with uh, the new designs, for instance. Does that seem fair, or would you say that maybe they're just more with the times? And Michael Bay's a terrible character design. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's... That's the thing is that, um, you know, there's a battle between eye candy and, um, uh, what do you call it, um, not productivity, but um, not efficiency, kind of all that stuff that kind of rolls into that. Um, uh, yeah, I know what you mean. You know, how, how easy it is to do. It's supposed to, is it worth it? <laughs> yeah, it, it's, you know, you can, and, and he's, I mean, he's all about eye candy. Um, and uh, as far as functionality, especially business functionality, with creating a, a trademark characters that are easily um, reproduced, um, I kind of think that it kind of went downhill um, with with that. And that, to me, sort of shows how you can, you can kind of go go off the chart as far as eye candy and um, end up ignoring um, ignoring. How the how the character is going to be used, um, you know, if you're if you're creating something for a mass market, which we brought up, you really have to rely on those hooks uh, and and have something that's um, simple enough to be reproduced um, and re- reproduced in, in in different ways where you can still retain the flavor of of the characters. Star Wars is a good example. Um, it's gone through different style, stylistic choices and, and whatnot. Same with uh, Marvel and DC are good examples of that. They, you know, run the gamut of style, uh, but you can still recognize the characters. Um, not really sure how you would stylize the, tra- <laughs> the Transformers and, <laughs> and the Transformers movies. I mean, the 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 original Transformers have been definitely been stylized. Um, and you could kind of argue that the Transformer movies are sort of stylized versions of them, um, though now those movies are more recognizable than the original series, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and um, you know, yeah. Perhaps just not enough room for interpretation. Yeah, yeah, that's that. Yeah, and and what and going back to the the hooks, um, you know, when you have those uh, and 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 keep you know keep strongly to those, you have a lot of room for interpretation. If you bog down the character um, uh, with with just too much, with just too much, um, and and you lose those hooks, uh, you end up, yeah. It just ends up being bad character design to me. There's definitely, I guess you could say, if you're looked at in business terms, it's almost like return on investment. I mean, how yeah. much, you know, that that 15th pouch on the character's belt, at what point <laughs> does that become less of a hook and more of a, well, that's just one more thing i got to render? Yeah. Does that become, and, and, hmm. and that's fine when, when those things are sort of hidden within shapes. Um, yep. Uh, kind of like um, when we brought up, uh, what's his name? Um Keith Parkinson. Yeah. That was the thing I wanted to talk about with Keith Parkinson was that he really did like go nuts on detail, but he kept those details within shapes to me. Yeah, he, uh, shape like he, welding and Yeah, he had he had belts and and pieces of armor, but the details were then sort of fleshed out within those shapes as opposed to um oh, yeah. uh breaking those shapes. So he had really strong silhouettes going on. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to the silhouettes. Um, you know, you know who's a good uh, example of that, and a kind of a funny uh, story in that uh, area is uh, Jack Kirby. Hmm. Uh, you know, the arguably the the greatest superhero or artist in comics of all time, at least in terms of creating iconic characters and storylines. He uh, he would quite often create really complex characters. You know, I mean, very complex uh, costumes, very science fiction-y, lots of goobahs hanging off of them. And, uh, but he would always have a strong silhouette and a strong visual hook uh, to each of these. But the funny thing is that usually if it was, say, a villain or some character that was only going to show up uh, you know, once or twice, you know, maybe a couple of issues in a row. Uh, you could see that, like, the first panel they show up in, he draws all the little goobahs and all the little things and designs this really incredible character. And then, like, the next panel, it's all different. <laughs> and then, like, two pages later, you know, they're all different again. And <laughs> you just had to get used to it. But he would draw with such you know, excitement and vigor. You just didn't care because you're following the story. And, yeah. uh, you know, they're, hey, it's Jack Kirby. He's very stylized. He's the Picasso of comics. Oh, yeah. Well, but, I think he ran into the same... I wouldn't be shocked if he ran into the same problem that uh, someone like Rob Liefeld ran into in that he didn't create a model sheet. So you ended up with, uh, you know, literally page to page, you know, the character of Bedrock would have different armor. You know, the, the shoulder yeah, pad yeah, would change from page to page, and, you know, the cut of his... You can, you can forgive it in a genius. Yeah. <laughs> or Rob Liefeld. Or Rob Liefeld. Ah. <laughs> you can be charitable, <laughs> in that case, perhaps. No, I'm not going to I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, there you go. Model sheets are pretty handy things to develop. If you're going to have a character, you're going to draw multiple times. 
That can be yeah. pretty handy sometimes, especially yeah, as when you as think I about Kirby. I do always do a model sheet for my comics characters. <laughs> I I get you know it's kind of funny. At least you see some illustrations of these heavily armored characters, and you realize the pose they're in is the only opportunity for this armor to function. It's like this armor would this person is basically <laughs> if must. He raised his right arm. He'd cut his own head off. <laughs> exactly. This, <laughs> this armor was designed for this pose, and <laughs> you know. But uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny when you see things like that happen. You know, it's it's just how you know, it's eye candy. How cool can we make it? But then you realize that eventually this character has to be able to leave that particular pose. Otherwise, they're just kind of on a conveyor belt going throughout the game world, and uh, they just, they better not they better not move because their armor simply will not allow it. Yeah, and again, that's that's a whole lot easier to get away with if you're doing sort of a, a one shot. Uh, picture, uh, you know, just for a, a piece of a fantasy art, a fantasy illustration of some kind, science fiction, mm-hmm. whatever, uh, is that you, uh, you know, you can make it look just ideal for that one pose, and you really don't have to care. Um, one one that I always think of, which is a hilarious one, is uh, Frank Rosetta did a one of his really best paintings, I think, in terms of composition and color and. And drawing the human form uh, called uh, the brain, I think. Mm-hmm. It's got the giant brain and then a guy sort of down at the bottom uh, holding his sword up. And another guy standing up over him with his sword po- poised to strike. Mm-hmm. You remember that one? Well, that was you know, Frank Frazetta? Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, you, you should, yeah. Yeah, uh, all the horns. <laughs> and the, yeah, he could never hit the guy because he has these horns coming out of his head. That would stop his arms from coming down with the sword. I know it was hilarious. I remember this one. <laughs> I haven't seen yeah. that one. Take oh. t- take a look around, man. You'll find it pretty readily. But it's just hilarious because you got this this demon with his arms outstretched above his head, holding a sword, but his horns are these long horizontal, like bull-like oh. horns. But his arms and his arms are behind it. So for him to we'll make this link up on the. Uh... On the show notes, I just sent you a, a link to it. <laughs> it's Karen. funny whenever we say that. Okay, yeah. We usually do it. <laughs> <laughs> After someone in the comments says, "Hey, do you have that link?" Oh yeah. <laughs> Here, I just sent it to you too, Drew, just in case you weren't remembering it. The brain. Yeah. yeah. So there's things like that where where <laughs> you can get away with a lot, but on the other hand, don't try to get away with too much, or else people will be laughing at your art thirty years later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the horns kind of cut the arms off too, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, how did he get his arms back there? <laughs> I think he he used, lifted with one arm and then grabbed it to, for power to then bring it back down again. But he can't really bring it back down again. All I can say is, if if that demon's going to complete its its attack, he's going to have to bend at the waist. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I can say. Bend at the waist, my friend. Oh man! So, have you guys ever seen? You guys have seen so little things like that. I, you know, they're not necessarily cheats, or are you? Do you think they're just cheats in service to composition? Is that forgivable? What do you think? Pretty forgivable. Um, usually, yeah. It depends on the. You know, it's all relative to the yeah. assignment. Yeah. <laughs> if it's a case like uh, I'm sure we've. Uh, uh, been through before. I know I have a few times where the artist 
did do a one-off and didn't probably didn't ever think it was going to be a character that was used again. And then you're asked by the client to repeat this character, you know, in a completely different situation. And then you have to figure out what the heck, <laughs> you know, how's, how's this costume put together? How could it possibly work from any other angle? Oh, no. Thinking. <laughs> so that's when you can't forgive it. You say, what? Why did you do this to me, previous artist? <laughs> so, do you guys I, have? I'm f- sure anyone who's ever had to do one of my characters has had the same thoughts about me. So I can't be. Do you guys have a, a favorite character based on their design? I kind of like. Uh, for instance, I really enjoy. Um, I like Lockwood's take on Drizzt Duarden, for instance. I enjoy those uh, those covers. On his take on what? I didn't catch on the, uh, the dark elf, uh, Drizzt Duarden. That's my nerd badge right there. I've earned it because I've just pronounced his name correctly. Wow, you're good, and I don't even know who it is or what it's from. It's so a series of novels. Uh, it's a series of novels written by Ari Salvatore. Ah, he's a popular yeah. character with for, the Twin Scimitars. Yeah, the Forgotten Realms twin character. Twin I've been reading it for thing. years, but uh, I have to say, I like Lockwood's designs on the character. So there you go. And uh, Mike Mignola's Hellboy. Love that design. Oh, yeah. Well, there's so many great characters around. Uh, well, speaking of Jack Kirby, he created a, a just a whole buttload of great characters. I think I think that my favorite one he created was probably Captain America. <laughs> How much more <laughs> iconic can a character get? That's true. Uh, and then uh, Thor. Thor is a great Jack Kirby character too because he looks science fictiony, superhero-y, mm-hmm. and yet he put in just enough little bits uh, to imply, you know, the Norse uh, heritage. So you really have a thing with for helmets with wings? Apparently. Uh, oh, that's right. Those both have helmets with wings. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Helmets with wings that don't fly. Okay. Even better. I guess I'd like the 1940s version of the Flash. He had yeah. little it's on his helmet too. Well, that's taken from um, Apollo, <laughs> isn't it? Roman. The Roman. Uh, yeah. Did that come? Mercury. Yeah, the Mercury is the messenger. And that kind of comes to um, using um, elements from uh, uh, recognizable things, or like when doing creature design, for example, yeah, basically yeah. Of, uh, a real life animal. Um, it, it it's easy for people to process and they, they sort of can pull things from memory and it ends up being the character or the creature is more familiar to them. Oh, yeah. Plus, it also gives you a nice visual springboard. So maybe this is just a way, for instance, like a Pegasus. Uh-huh. Know, maybe that's just the way the early humans would have uh, interpreted you know, this creature when looking at it. But in fact, its own its uh, construction was a lot more alien than say, you know, you could take a, a creature that we come to recognize like a horse with wings and realize maybe it's actually uh, what became described as Pegasus was in fact a much more alien looking creature with all kinds of strangeness that we could not put into words. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of things. You know, that, I think that's a good starting place looking at mythology, for instance. The biggest, the weirdest monsters were just things that were described as being a conglomeration of various creatures we were familiar with. Like, uh, the rhino, I guess, was the inspiration for the unicorn or something, wasn't it? And they tried to describe the um, the rhinoceros mm-hmm. um, when it was first encountered. It was um, uh, 
it was sort of simplified. So, you know, uh, uh, people sort of attached what they, you know, recognizable things around them to, to what, um, uh, you know, the unicorn or rhinoceros would be. Hmm. Um, Yeah. Carlos just got some photos in a, in the Stranger. Um, Stranger's a local paper. Okay. Um, and he got some work published for the first time. Uh, so he's really happy about that. He just came in with it. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Many congrats. Thank you. Man, so hey guys, uh, do you do you want to move on a little bit? Have we... <laughs> Yeah, I guess. I, I, I said uh, congratulations, Carlos, but my uh, mute was on. <laughs> <laughs> so, man, it got really quiet all of a sudden. <laughs> I was just talking a blue streak. I thought everyone was just... Uh, we were just all in rapture. On my <laughs> just ignoring you, right? We we're all... <laughs> <laughs> so what are you guys working on right now? I just wrapped up some stuff for Dragon Dice, and now I've got some other little little things to see, too. Besides a project with my fr- good friend Drew, mm-hmm. I, and I have not yet produced a sketch of a particular magic item to <laughs> to Drew's satisfaction, so I, I have to revisit. <laughs> but that's okay. There's nothing wrong with having discerning taste. Yeah. This is I'm how you're gonna complain to me. This is, yeah, that's right. Live. This is how you're gonna bring it up. This Live. Is, this is no, actually, no dysfunction in our relationship at all. That's right. No, not at all, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's interesting. Because, you know, we're both reading the same brief, but we're, getting, we're coming away with very different interpretations, which is interesting. Yeah. I find that interesting. So. Yeah, Drew says it. Yeah, it's really interesting how Jeremy's interpretation is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I think Drew is quite right in, his, in what he's saying to me, so I'm, just, I'm, I'm still laboring over this. Trying to come up with something that that could be compelling at the same time meet the brief, but uh, I'm uh, uh, I'm juggling. I'm on one of those uh, little pinch points. One gets to every once in a while. Personally, uh, I've got uh, animation I'm working on, sort of taking the uh, key drawings from a cartoonist and then coloring and animating them for an iOS project. Um, and then I'm also working on designs for a well, a couple of museum games, uh, you know, museum kiosks that'll have uh, little one-off games. Uh, that that one's kind of fun, making designing little cute robots for it. And then I've got a book, a book cover that I need to get the sketch out. Uh, by tomorrow, so I'm a little late on that. I usually like to get the sketch out earlier than the day it's due. (laughs) (laughs) And then I need to get started on some other uh, things for a client that I haven't even started on yet that is for another iOS project. So I've got a lot on my plate here. I have just learned a very important lesson about not waiting for the last minute. It's embarrassing that in this stage I still needed to learn that lesson. (laughs) Do share. I had a a big project with a lot of time to do it and ended up letting a lot of things trip me up along the way. So that when the deadline came in, 
I was rushing to get everything done. I had I had asked for an extension. He said, "Okay, this is the latest I can get it all in." Uh, I, you know, killed myself getting it all in, and it was all good. I thought, and then the revisions came back. Uh, and so I've had a, a week of revisions as quickly as I could because uh, I had already pushed all the time. And then Monday, I thought so. I, I thought I had wrapped everything up on. Thursday, I think it was. And then Monday, they came back, and the art director said, uh, it turned out I had asked you for something entirely wrong for this piece. Which was <sighs> sort of the biggest and most important of the project. Uh, so I just finished redoing that. That's why I, I was late, because I don't re recover as quickly from all-nighters as I used to. Uh, I had to take a nap. <laughs> Oh, good for you. Yeah, so. But what? So that luckily, though, that last revision was not your fault. It was the uh, the art director. Uh, I think, yeah. Well, I think he he has graciously said it was all his fault. I think partly because I had taken the brief interpreted in, in my, taken my interpretation in one direction when it could have been interpreted the other way. I see. But he didn't catch me or correct me. Uh, so he w he gladly said it was all his fault, but I think you know, I could have guessed the right answer. I see. Oh, well, well, it sounds like a nice art director, and and I'm sure you don't uh, you're usually much quicker on these things. So I guess uh, no harm done. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> a, a big Star Wars project I've been working on. Uh, oh yeah. One of the one of the images has has been spoiled on the. Star Wars books Facebook account. They they posted a cover of their episode one new cover for their episode one novelization sitting in front of the art director's monitor, and one, the picture on the right was the one I had done on the monitor. Is that, that the one cool. we saw earlier? Um, I would never violate my non-disclosure oh, agreement. By yeah, yeah, me. that's right. I was thinking of somebody else. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of another piece of art. It wasn't Star Wars, and it wasn't you. <laughs> It was a completely different thing. It yes. happens at Patrick's age. Pay it no mind. Pay it no mind. Yeah, I think you may have seen it. It, it was one of the, the one of the pictures, and I had painted it with a was. Um, Sweet. So the, the, now I'm working on a board game, and I've got that story starting wrapped up, and I've got those revisions wrapped up. Hopefully, mm, mm. the files have to go to the printer tomorrow. Uh, yeah, I haven't heard back that I need to do anything different. So you're. You're just keeping. You're you're sitting there right now with your fingers crossed. Oh, I'm sitting there right now working on that board game. That, oh, okay. Yeah, there three or four things have piled up on me, as as Patrick has, has mentioned. Those revisions, needing to redo stuff, was not in my schedule. Yeah, so. well, that'll throw you for a loop. That is one of the main reasons to always get things in before a deadline, if at all possible. Unlike what I'm going to do tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm I'm just now learning that like oh I should get ahead. I turned a project in a few days early uh, earlier this year. That was kind of a nice feeling. That's yeah, a feeling that's you can take. Awesome that's, a, that's a feeling you want to have all year long. Well, here's a pro tip too for people who actually want extra work. Um, which is most of us most of the time just uh, it's also a lot of us <laughs> don't want that a lot of the time but uh, one of the best things one of the best uh, 
tricks of the trade is that if you get your work in very early for a large project, and you know there's other artists working on the project, uh, and it's a client that you like or work that you like or somebody you want more work from, uh, personally for me, I concentrate on getting that out as early as possible. Um, and that is because quite often other artists will have trouble hitting a deadline or call them up and say, oh, I can't do all these pieces, or uh, maybe they'll even turn in stuff that isn't right for the job and the art director has to find somebody else to do it. And there you are. You've already finished your assignment. Hopefully you've done it really well. <laughs> and if, <laughs> if that is the case, if those are both the case, then you will get another job on that assignment. Yeah, it doesn't do you much good to turn in an utter piece of crap yeah. early. Yeah, that, that's the that's the other part of the trick. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> Try I to totally rushed this assignment to get it too early. <laughs> I think that's I think that's one of the things Loomis really stresses in his books too. Don't suck very much. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of age old wisdom, isn't it? It really is. <laughs> it was true for the Egyptians, and it's true for us today. Um, so anyway, uh, pro tip there, the earlier you get it in, the more uh, opportunity you have to get more work on that assignment. So it's too we don't have like a stinger for that. This was your pro tip. You know, that sort <laughs> <Yeah>. of thing. <laughs> can, you, can you whip something up for that? That was it event? right there. Pro <laughs> tip. There you go. It's done. It needs it's kind done. of a synthesizer. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. definitely. Something syn- oh, yeah. yeah. You, you might be right. But right now, we'll just have to go budget, you know. Kieran, what are you working on? Um, Secret. Uh, right at this moment, which is why I'm being kind of quiet. Um, uh, <laughs> working on um, uh, some uh, the uh, Star Wars Connect for Microsoft. Cool. Um, and uh, uh, what else? Uh, so I kind of January seemed to be. Like the end of last year, there wasn't a lot of people getting in touch with me, and then it seemed to be that everyone in January got in touch with me all at the same time. Um, <laughs> is how it goes, I guess. Uh, so I've, I'm working for uh, a new client over in Japan, which is really interesting. Um, a company called DNA. They they do mobile games. Um, so. Uh, that's that's been really interesting. Um, uh, I'll be starting new stuff for Sony um, shortly. Uh, working on stuff for Paizo, um, doing the Microsoft stuff during the day, and then uh, project for Watsi. And so you guys are all working on pretty much awesome, awesome stuff, basically. <laughs> yes, you don't suck, awesome. you get to unlock doing awesome stuff. <laughs> What's that? If you don't suck, you can unlock doing awesome stuff. Oh yeah. <laughs> it, it it's it's awesome until yeah, it's it's all due at the same time and there's too much work and you know. Oh man. Yeah, there's awesome and then there's awesome. Yes. Yeah. I don't know what that means, but well, you know what? I gotta start getting ready to uh, to wrap up because I gotta go catch a, a basketball game. It should be good fun. My little niece is playing basketball and she is fierce. Woo. She is fierce, so it's, it's gonna fun. be fun. 
she it's funny she's about five foot two and all of course and she's just basically towered occasionally you got a lot of players who just tower over her but she's just a little mongoose you know she's just all over the you know she's running she's darting between legs you know it's, it's just you know <laughs> she bites people that's right oh she's like i said she's fierce <laughs> maybe she get her purple wig like hit girl sounds like her <laughs> she's like the honey badger <laughs> Look at the honey badger eating a scorpion, stinging her in the face. You don't give a shit. That's nasty. <laughs> That's nasty. <laughs> but you know, in part, I did. My brother sent me a job posting on CreativeHeads.net. Oh yeah. And apparently, um, Wizards of the Coast is looking for a digital art director for Magic: The Gathering. So, that is interesting. Oh, I wonder if that's with um interesting. Yeah, it looks like it has a looking at it, it requires a rather diverse set of digital skills and you'd be interfacing with a lot of uh, with uh, their web and and other uh, departments and it looks interesting so uh, we can always post a link to that. Hmm. It's right there at creativeheads.net and you just yeah, I'm sure you could just do a quick search under art animation graphic design. I wonder if that's to do with um uh, a lot of the the outs like the um, outsourcing the licensed stuff like Sony had that uh, Magic the Gathering game they did. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're still doing it or not. But um, and then there's other sort of iterations of Magic digital stuff and Magic. Mm, it might be. It might be. But yeah, you know, so looking at like the, I'm seeing a lot of 3D, a lot, you know, some web application, mm-hmm. you know, all sorts of. Uh, it looks like it's a pretty diverse skill set they're they're looking for there. So if you are if one of our listeners, I suppose, fits that particular mold, or at least in, in large part, they might gonna give it a shot. The, uh, we notice that there's no relocation, so but you'd have to be working in the Renton area, you know, sort of thing. So it looks like they're they're casting that the net wide, but only locally. <laughs> so it's like there's no relocation assistance. So, so well, hopefully uh, they'll find somebody that fits that mold right in Renton, Washington. Probably. There's, there's, I mean, there's a big pool to pull from in Seattle. Mm, mm. That's right. And if anybody listening gets that job, remember how wonderful we were to you by, <laughs> by doing this podcast. <laughs> that's how we roll, folks. <laughs> it's called networking. Yeah. <laughs> it's called nepotism. Oh, man. That's your other pro tip for the episode. <laughs> Well, I would like to thank you all for joining us. If you want to leave comments in the in the show, head on over to ninjamountain.blogspot.com. Although our uh, our good friend Kieran Yenner has been working a little bit on something special that uh, I suppose we'll have more about in in, in the future, as it's still being it's still under development, right? What we uh-huh. you're with the website? Oh yes, um, yeah. Um, yeah, well, yeah. That was, <laughs> it was going smoothly was, until we all got busy. Yes, yes. <laughs> I was like, that, see, that was the thing is I had all that time. I was like, well, no one's contacting me. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'll, I'll start building a website. And then everyone got in contact with me all at the same time. <laughs> Price of popularity. Uh, that's yeah. kind of what happened to the last episode that took me uh, four or five weeks to edit. <laughs> that's why we had such a long drop off, everybody. I was, I just got super busy all at once. Sorry again. <laughs> oh man, you know, we're, we're, we should be having a new snazzy new website with doohickeys and finangles and whatsyhooses. Fifteen patches on the belt. <laughs> cool. Yep. And you can check out. Of course, you can check us out on the blog spot 
and of, at the Blogspot address and WIP. But uh, and of course, we are a proud member of the Visual Artist Podcast Network. And I would like to thank Drew Baker. Hi, I'm Drew at drewbaker.com. Kieran. And I'm late. <laughs> Kieran Yanner. I'm Kieran Yanner at kieranyanner.com. Patrick McAvoy. At megaflowgraphics.com. And I am Jeremy McHugh, and I can be found at McHughstudios.com. Thank you all for joining us this week. Tune, let's let us cue the musication.